What's up, everybody? Code Pen Radio 362. I have another special guest. I've known this guy for a long time. Haven't we known each other for a long time? It feels like a long time. Kind of, we cross paths every once in a while in interesting ways. Mr. Chris Nager. Is Nager right? Did I say it right? You'd correct me. It's it's Nager. 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 Chris Nager. Sorry, I should have known. Um, but welcome to the show. Yeah. Are you uh you're still in New York? Yeah, over here in Brooklyn. Um it's been a little over a decade now. It's pretty wild. Oh, you're an old timer. <laughs> <laughs> when where do you where, where are you at? What's 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 keeping you employed these days? <laughs> um yeah, I I'm actually at a fintech company right now, uh building a product called Carta X at Carta. Um pretty interesting work. Yeah, I don't know anything about Carta X, but I know Carta as being like the thing where everybody has their options or whatever, right? Isn't that the... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's all about cap tables. The, and, yeah. Yep, yep. And Carta X is just uh, essentially introduces like liquidity so you can actually do something with with uh, with your equity. So anyway, just a pretty, pretty interesting... Uh, stuff that we get to work on for sure. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Arc, the code pens cap tables right there in Carta. So rock and roll. The reason I, you know, that I'm like, oh, we've known each other forever. It's just, uh, it's because, you know, it's not like we've gotten a chance to uh, hang out a million times, but you've been, I think of you as a kindred spirit and that you do li- uh, like your, the things that I see from you are so varied. And so, like, I feel like that I do that too. I like, no, we know a little bit about a lot of stuff and that, you know, about, kind of designers and kind of developers and and have bounced around between all kinds of different technology over the years and all that stuff. There's a there's a pen that happens to be just like weirdly popular of yours on CodePen. <laughs> it's just like a plus symbol. I'm sure you know what I mean. <laughs> it's like, why is a plus symbol such a big deal? But I remember seeing it and being like, wow, is that clever? Because it's 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 you know sometimes they call it code golf or whatever that uses the like SVG path syntax to 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 hand draw this thing in such a way that like you'd have to know the syntax to make this work like there's no way on earth Adobe Illustrator is is outputting <laughs> code that's that's that tiny and I was like how the heck does that work and then you know I think you put together on you know on Medium a million years ago literally 2014 so sorry for the old hits here <laughs> but like a little little guide to the SVG syntax. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And that was inspirational to me. Years later, I looked back on it. And then and then I kind of made my own guide uh, to the, the syntax, like kind of referencing yours and kind of trying to expand on how that syntax in, in SVG works. So thanks for the inspiration, man. Of course. Yeah, I definitely um, got really into hand-drawing SVGs for, for a while, or at least understanding as much as I could about how to how to actually manipulate SVGs with code. Yeah, it's, it's satisfying stuff too. And those were, were, you know, if somebody was getting into it now, they'd have a more fun time doing it in, in, in a way because it's a little bit more. There's less quirks, and the you know you can transform them a little easier, and the you know CSS can even animate them to some degree now and stuff. Back then, it was wild west. Nobody was doing that stuff. <laughs> Even though SVG is quite old, I shouldn't say nobody, you know, as a tech, it's like as old as HTML practically. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that number, but it's not exactly hot and fresh technology. 
Um, right on. And then, and then but possibly just so I, just so I don't forget to mention it, cause this was so, this is so crucial that all the people I've talked to recently on CodePen radio that do, you know, creative technology stuff, there's like this, you know, long-term weird synergy between Dribble and CodePen. And you recognized that long ago and made this website, which I'm sure you haven't updated in forever, but you know, this is, that's just the way it is. But the, the point was it was calling out that connection really clearly. It looked like a Tumblr or something. I don't even know what the tech is behind it, but it has that vibe. Of, and then the point was, here's the dribble shot on the left and the, in the code pen on the right. And it was just, it was just fun to browse. It's just cool to call out people's creative connection between those things and that was you you made that yeah wow that is a throwback um (laughs) let's wind the clocks back to 2013 is actually when that launched it was it was called give and go and uh oh yeah give and go exactly what you were talking about the name itself was a bit of a play on the basketball theme of dribble and essentially the illustrator passing off uh, the ball to the to to the front end developer essentially <laughs> so it kind of had a little play in there this was essentially similar to what you were saying I was noticing that people were recreating dribble illustrations and animating them and doing lots of fun things in front end on code pen and so this was a place where people could submit and it was built on Tumblr as a CMS. <laughs> that, that was a thing at a time. It was really Tumblr. Oh, yeah, nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was a ton of fun. Able to use the embedded code pens and um, and pair them yeah. with with their Dribble partners, and it was just it it gained a little steam. Had a nice little community for a while, and I even had stickers made at one point. But but yeah, that was that was a ton of fun. Maybe maybe I have to pick that back up someday. <laughs> yeah, literally almost well, I guess almost ten years later, there's still people doing that. That's like a long time for this connection to exist. You know, I think that's pretty cool. Time moves on. Now you're in fintech. You have a lovely personal website. I see. Even even tracking the the progress of creating it in Notion, <laughs> which, which I love. <laughs> Um, I see one of your to-do items is RSS feed, though. Got to get on that, man. That was the first thing I did was be like, I wonder if I, I'm on Chris's RSS feed. Oh, it doesn't exist yet. But there's yeah. a ticket for it. There's a ticket. You got it. Uh, I'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's cool. And so and so, so, what else? Tell me what you're into now, though. I, I, I forced dragged you back in time t- t- too far. But you've lived a, a lifetime since then. You know, what, what, what's up with you now? So I think a driving thing uh, throughout has been accessibility. It's something I've always been pretty passionate about. Um, I feel like everywhere I work, I, I tend to be <laughs> one of the advocates or starting little um, groups or joining councils or things like that. Um, it's, it's always been something near and dear. I, I, uh, there's such a need in the world for it. I'm very excited about <laughs> where CSS is going. It seems like it's making a lot of these things much easier to do. Um, I was just playing around with the color contrast. Uh, it's it's like a color function that CSS now has only for the Safari tech preview with, with like an experimental feature flag turned on. But uh-huh. it's really, really fun stuff where you can 
you can essentially compare a color to a color set and just have it have the browser uh, give you the most the the color with the greatest contrast and things like this are just I mean obviously they're not widespread at this point but but CSS is just making uh, the the in browser experience so much better so much more accessible or, or at least giving us the tools to be able. To, to do these type of things. Yeah, that's great. Isn't it, isn't it nice how they do the feature flags in Safari where it's just a menu <laughs> and you just, you just turn it on or off like a checkbox thing? It's always awkward in blog posts to be like, okay, and then in Firefox or, or Chrome, you have to type about colon flags or whatever it is, then search for the thing, then find it, then restart the browser or whatever crap. Safari is just like, uh, it's a menu and you just click it on so much better but anyway yeah that's literally the so yeah you're talking about color dash contrast like parentheses like the actual function yeah that is a that is a beautiful one like so especially for any kind of dynamic or or like user-driven colors i could imagine it being particularly useful because it's one thing if it's like if it's your code base it's your responsibility to make sure that your colors are the correct (laughs) you know, that they have enough color contrast. But in a world where, like, perhaps the user is setting a background color or something, they they could screw it up. And I would think with this color contrast function, you could say, like, okay, well, I'm going to give you the choice of, you know, at least white text and black text, and then compare it to the dynamic color and make sure that, it you know, it shows the one with, with the proper contrast. That's pretty slick. Yeah, it's so cool that it's built into CSS now. I did a recent um, pen. I was, you know, that's code pen is where I go to try stuff out. And uh, it it was actually, I wanted to use that and I wanted to be able to find out the highest contrast of a gradient. Now that <laughs> I decided to come up with my own kind of way of finding that out, but um, essentially, I kind of built off the work that uh, that Adam Argyle did with the gradients and and going through all the color spaces. Um, oh man, that's a whole world. Yeah, <laughs> but but anyway, I, I was able to essentially. Uh, all with CSS, I was able to pull out the midpoint color of these gradients per each color space. So as you did a two-point gradient from, let's say, yellow to blue, find that midpoint yeah. color, put it into the color contrast um, function in CSS, be able to find out the the color space gradient with the most contrast based on if you have a black or white background based on whether you're in dark mode or light mode and apply that Mm. gradient. And it it was all done in CSS and it just blows my mind like what you can do now with all this stuff. Yeah. How did you, what do you mean by, because I I know what you mean like conceptually by plucking out the midpoint color, but how do you like get access to that color in CSS? Yeah. Let me, let me pull it up. Um, I want to remember exactly, so I don't don't tell you. That's you know, it's just an interesting idea. To... So I use the color mix function. So essentially, I said color mix, and then I chose the in whatever na- uh, color space it was, and then I set the two colors as the start and end colors for the gradient. So that gave me the midpoint color. 
A single um, color. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, it was just a really fun little experiment. And I love being able to spin this kind of stuff up in, in a platform like CodePen because I don't have to. Yeah, it's, it's just so nice. It's very simple. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. I mean, that's I like that kind of stuff too because then it will just sit there and last forever too. You're not going to like lose it. It's not like I don't know, messing up some I don't know, organizational scheme you have elsewhere. It's just, and people just get to benefit from it forever. So if I need to look up how to draw a cross with rounded corners 10 years later, I got it. This is clever. I got to look into more details with this. I don't I know less about color mix. That's, it's cool that it exists, but I haven't played with it like at all yet. And it's interesting that you can mix in the different color spaces. Ooh, juicy. <laughs> and those midpoints are so different. You just went from blue to red in this pen, and the midpoints range from like eye-popping pink to like dull, boring purple. You know, like depending on the color space, it's really super dramatic how different they are. That's wild. Yeah, that's wild. And there's more. I mean, didn't didn't Safari? I, I I think I feel like I got this wrong the other day sharing it around. So I want to be careful about it. But Safari, I think originally said they shipped inert attribute and then didn't actually do that, <laughs> but are working on it to some degree. But I don't know if you saw that. But inert seems like it's going to be pretty huge for for accessibility reasons, right? Yeah, I mean, I've only read a little about it, but excited. Very excited. I'm I'm also excited about uh, letting trim. I think it's called, which <laughs> totally unrelated, kind of not really accessibility focused, but just great for design and baseline aligning text. Yeah, true. And all that, that's of- the one where like there's not this like arbitrary weird amount of pixels like sort of above and below. Absolutely. Yeah, it kind of like cuts it where where you might expect a design tool to cut the text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I just used the other day was a uh, uh what's the one where hanging punctuation Ooh. where like if the if a sentence starts with curly quotes or something, it'll just yank them back to the left a little bit to line up the first word instead. And it's such a, you know, it, it only works in Safari as far as I know, but it's a nice little it's one that I would never, never forget to put on because I feel like it, it deserves to be on there in a way. But yeah, the inert thing seems cool, and I think you can. I'm, I don't know if I have this entirely right, but you you can you can inert like the entire rest of the document except for a modal, for example, and then instead of like having to handcraft your own focus trap for the modal, because I think that's one of the accessibility requirements of a modal is that as you tab around the page, you're just tabbing within the modal. Like your, your, you know, your focus has to be trapped in there. You can't accidentally tab out underneath the modal to some unrelated, you know, uh, a focusable feature. It has to stay in there. And that's been such a pain in the butt to code for what decades. Oh yeah. And now inert's going to be like, just just making it almost trivially easy. Oh, that'll be great. So is there other accessibility features you, you have your eye on? No, I was just thinking of uh, Clamp. There's like so much uh, we're able to do with the Clamp function. Um, and I've oh, and most, mostly from a typography standpoint, but I think people could get creative with like what, how far we could take that. <laughs> um, so yeah. I, 
it is particularly nice for typography, isn't it? That 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 font sizing stuff. I was just evangelizing that the other day. That it's like you get this opportunity to express fluid type, but you know, without the dangers of it ever being too big or too small, because Clamp gives you that kind of safety that it's gonna it's gonna be handled well. I just love it. It's so good. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's fun. But for somebody that's, you know, like you're the accessibility guy, you find yourself in that position a lot, but you're also, uh, uh, you know, modern JavaScript developer, you know, your sites in Gatsby, you've been playing with React for half a decade, it seems like. Do those worlds ever collide for you in awkward ways? You know, I feel like React even specifically gets a bad rap sometimes about that kind of that kind of stuff. You know, if you make, for example, you make a single page app in React because it, it, it all but encourages you to do that. And you click a link and you go to a different URL. The, what happens in a kind of default React setup is just, I don't know, some content gets replaced and your focus is wherever it is. But in another type of app where it's not in a single page app, the focus gets restored to the to the beginning of the page, which are very different accessibility things. And that, and that, you know, that gets, you know, React gets prodded at for that. Like, why didn't you deal with that? Why don't you help us with accessibility problems like that? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> these are very situational. Um, obviously, there are more choices now in how to render your application, which uh, can affect uh, where, how things load, how thing, what, what will be focused first. I think one thing React does uh, sometimes uh, take some flack on is about accessibility is people do away with semantic HTML. Um, mm. That's something I still hold near and dear, and it might be because of the time when I started developing, but it's uh, I think it's very important for people to take the time to uh, really just continue to use your semantic HTML within your React apps. It, it does not have to be a mutually exclusive. You don't have to enter kind of a div soup um, situation <laughs> just based on the technology you chose. No, certainly not. And it's not like React, it's not like React itself says, oh, please use all divs, right? That, that's always confused me a little bit. But yet, here we are seeing that, you know, you're, not, you're, you're far from the first person that has mentioned that, that React in particular kind of it's not that, like, like I said, not that the framework is guilty, but if you look at general React code bases, you see so much of that. Div, 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 div. On, you know, or, or worse, div on click, you know, div on hover and stuff <laughs> that you're like, that, that's, yeah. that's not a thing. So what is that, you know, speculate for me, if you will. <laughs> Why does that happen at all? I honestly, I, do, I don't know. It, it could be, in some cases, maybe a developer coming more from a full stack uh, working on a front end that could potentially be an issue. I only say that because for some reason I've over the years, I've seen HTML kind of put to the side of importance and it's, it's like the basic building blocks of the entire web. You can't actually have any interfaces without HTML. So I, it's, it's hard to see um, when, when that gets, kind of overlooked, um, especially with buttons and accessibility, like basic accessibility type things. But but again, I, do, I don't actually, <laughs> yeah, I've seen that case before. I, that is obviously not every case. That is, that is just something no, I've noticed. Certainly. Yeah. It feels like one of those, 
there's only so many hours in the day or then there's so many days in the in the curriculum as it were you know like we have to get through all this stuff you know because we're producing students here at boot camp x or or whatever it is and you know that that html might just get less playtime than it did for you or i coming up 15 20 years ago and that's it's like that's all there was to learn so we spent time learning it <laughs> right. whereas you know I did a Kirk even even five years ago. I was like kind of working with with kids more than I do now. I'd like to get back to it more. But the first the first thing they learned was Git, which I thought was a very cool, interesting approach because you got to learn that anyway. And then they were able to put their assignments in Git and learn. And and then by virtue of that, they were learning the command line because that's how they interfaced with Git. So they got comfortable with that. And then while they were at the command line, the curriculum taught Node a little bit because it was like, okay, we're going to start learning JavaScript, but rather than kick you to the browser right away, we'll just do it right here at the command line. So you could type, you know, simple, you know, math stuff and all anything that JavaScript can do, but just do it right at the command line. And I was like, wow, these kids are like, they feel smarter than me already because they, they were doing stuff that isn't necessarily like super comfortable for me still. And then the and then the curriculum moved in, into client side JavaScript a bit, and it felt like that's already so much. You're already doing so much work that it didn't surprise me that HTML just didn't have. There wasn't as much time to cover it. So on one hand, I liked the curriculum and thought it was clever, and on the other hand, I'm like, no wonder these kids are all picking divs because they don't know. They didn't. Know it was HTML is barely a part of what they're learning. I don't know. Sorry for the tirade there. That's just that's what I what I see. No, for sure. There's there's a lot that a, a front end developer takes on these days, um, and it's 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 a ton of fun. There's so many tools at your disposal, but you can't <laughs> you can't know them all like a hundred percent. So, I. I do understand it. Even your site is. It looks like it's you know Gatsby on Netlify, right? So so it's funny how you can build a site these days and host it and get like the perfectly great hosting for it and involve no, you know, you, you almost need to know nothing about servers and backend technology at all. And you have a perfectly functional site. I have loved uh, using Netlify and other services that allow me to essentially deploy previews are just one of the best things ever. <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> what, what you're using. If it has deploy previews, um, it's it's just an excellent tool uh, for that reason. It, it, at least at least it's good at uh, that thing. Because getting reviews on things, it's just so much faster. Uh, prototyping, yeah, a- any kind of things. Um, I, I, I've been really impressed with it. I, I get to use these technologies um, uh, personally, professionally, <laughs> it's it's just like this is the the tools are amazing these days for sure. And over the past decade, like they've just gotten so so helpful. They've gotten good, but for like specific things, you know. Like I still work on some WordPress sites, and none of my WordPress anything has any notion of deploy via Git commits or a deploy preview from that git commit or 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 pull request 
And it's like, okay, fine. You know, like I get that it's a little bit more complicated because in order to do a deploy preview of a WordPress site, you'd have to what, you know, spin up a temporary staging environment with a MySQL database (laughs) that's a replica that probably can't be spun up in, you know, 18 milliseconds. You know, it probably takes several minutes to provision all that stuff. But it does feel like a like a divide of, of, of development styles and, and, and stuff that if you happen to have jumped on the Jamstack thing and have this blazing fast local development environment where you save a local file and, you know, you benefit from all the hot module reloading and this like amazing local development environment. And then you just shoot up a pull request to master and Netlify gives you a URL for you to go check out and make sure everything's okay and get people to sign off and merge it into master and it goes live in two minutes. That type of workflow is like, it is amazing, but it's amazing that it's equally amazing that other types of development, like the developers are like starting to be dissatisfied when they don't have it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the uh, output is now insanely faster and uh and um and so all expectations obviously rise as as time is cut so i yeah it's a uh, yeah but it, it it's been great oh one one cool thing uh netlify does is i've gotten to use its analytics tool and it's neat because unlike typical um client side uh, like uh certain analytics yeah. tools where you essentially have to load a script. These, these are all done server side. Um, so you, you just kind of log in and see what they were without having to add extra blood yeah. to the site. Um, I know other platforms do that too. And it's, it's just been, but I I've personally experienced Netlify's and it's, it's been like pretty, pretty impressive. I love it. Yeah. Cause there is a, uh, you know, the usage of, browser tools that block client-side JavaScript are, you know, they have, that what, they start half a decade or longer ago and have just gone up and up and up and up and up and up, you know? So the reliability of the data that you get from client-side JavaScript-only analytics is starting to get less and less accurate, you know? And there exists this doubt in your mind, like, how how, how accurate is this? How, what percentage of my audience is using a blocker for that stuff and you'll never know there's no way to answer that question the only way to answer that question is don't do client-side analytics do like you said server-side analytics and i I don't even know if it's i mean i guess it's server-side but it's almost like at the like the logs level it's like yeah yeah i i'm not sure if i'm using the correct terminology here but just not the client side yeah yeah yeah. And then there's nuance to it as far as I know, because, you know, I'm sure Netlify Analytics, it's super, it does advanced, interesting things, I'm sure, right? Nothing against their analytics, but also that they're a much smaller team and it's a much newer product than Google Analytics to the point where there's, I think, some rough edges to the point of like, for example, there are a zillion bots that just zoom across the internet doing who knows what requesting your website and as far as i know i don't know if netlify is particularly susceptible to this or if it's other 
quote unquote server side analytics software, but it doesn't really filter that stuff out. So if you're using Google Analytics, it definitely does. Because who cares if some random bot came by your website? That's not like a useful piece of information, analytical information. But it's not filtered out in some of that server side stuff, just be, by virtue of it being a newer product and, and less advanced in a way. So it might look like, wow, I have eight times more traffic than I thought I did. And it's like, no, you don't actually. <laughs> a lot of that stuff is just random bot stuff. I don't know if I, you know, I probably gave that too much airtime because I can't speak super intelligently about it. Just something I've heard and noticed to some degree. So new CSS stuff. Do you have anything else on your mind that uh, that you're like particularly excited about in CSS land? Boy, there's a lot going on, isn't there? Well, one of them, I guess it goes back to uh, kind of the accessibility stuff. And this isn't brand new, but uh, the the CSS logical properties and values the where uh, you essentially pair it with writing mode. Um, it's the first time I've seen... CSS be able to define both start and end values in one, um, other than the shorthand for, uh, for example, if I were to set the, the padding in line, I could set the, with, with the left to right or right to left uh, writing mode, or I forget the, the values of writing mode, but um, you would be setting the left padding left and right in one value. Which uh, it's just really neat. That didn't even exist before. Like there is no non-logical version of that, wasn't there? Because there's no, you know, because logical properties are like you said, right? They, if the writing mode switches, you know, the direction of the 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 padding or margin or border or left or right you know, or whatever, they, it all comes along with it, which is so great because anybody who's ever had to deal with not just translating but changing the entire writing mode literally of, of, of a website would know that you got you're gonna have trouble you're gonna have to write a whole different css file and override it and stuff. It just feels right to write it in that way but we got some bonus things when, you know, like padding in line there's no non-logical version of padding in line right yeah, like what that <laughs> didn't exist before. i've been using uh uh, something called theme theme UI, and it's essentially one of those. Ooh, what's uh, that? It's it's uh, Brent Jackson put it out, but it was it was something where it anyway. It has one of those. Uh, it has a prop, an SX prop, and you can pass in something like PX, which I know this has been used in CSS frameworks forever. But essentially, it's all mm. about setting both. Uh, left and right padding at the same time. Something something uh, at the very right, basic right, level right. being able to do that, um, kind of like a PYPX. It's just neat that that kind of stuff is making it to CSS and <laughs> it's being done in a much more accessible way um, where where it actually is ready to handle and flip when, when you're, uh, uh, if you're going to use a different writing mode or if, if a user just... Mm-hmm goes to the site in a different writing mode. And also just even if you never do it, even if you never change writing mode, it's it somehow just feels more logical to me. Like it's, how my brain thinks of like, I already know what inline elements are. Like I learned that so long ago. A span naturally is inline. And I, the inline direction is the 
inline direction <laughs> right. and to put padding in the inline direction. It's like the words stay meaningful as a system over the time. And, and I know sometimes it's hard to break that left-right mentality a little bit. But I think if you do, I think it'll feel more natural. Like as a language, it just seems to all fit together really nicely. And, the, and you know, I, I've seen it in multiple ways. You know, they, they've been talking about container units. Have you seen those that are like, oh, yeah. they're part of the container queries world, but they're like, in, rather than a viewport unit, they're a percentage of the container itself's unit. How cool is that? And there's versions of it that are like container width, so something like QW or something like that. I forget the exact name of it. But there's logical versions of it. And it almost seems like we should all just... It almost seems like they should only ship logical versions of it. Like QI is like the inline width of the unit. It's like, yeah, you should use that. Use that one. Don't use the width I, one. I like that. <laughs> I was actually thinking about that um, as I was... I I was talking about this pen I recently did, um, and it deals with gradients. And at one point, I was writing the phrase "to write," where where you're kind of defining which way the gradient needs to right. the start to the end yeah. point. And I, and it made me wonder as I was using all these logical properties and values: is there is there one for that? I haven't looked into it, but um, is there? I don't know, I but I just be. I feel like there's got to be because um, eventually we we have to move away from left, right, top, bottom. What would bottom. it be? Inline end, I guess. Two, two inline, inline end. end. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, because it, but it would have to do both, right? Because you can go like two top right. So in that case, it would be because that would be valid syntax, right? So you'd have to also support. To inline block end, I would get it would get weird Ooh. when you're combining them. Not weird, but it would just be mind bendy to get the syntax right. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't know the best way to do those, or if it's necessary. Maybe you want the same gradient in both writing modes, so maybe that doesn't matter. But uh, oh, good point. Yeah, just just some stuff that I was <laughs> as it, it. It's just these type of things. Like when CSS Grid came out, I just start looking at the web and how it is and just right. wondering like uh just with all the new units you were talking about and i mean those are the latest and greatest but even ch units and <laughs> which i guess those have been out right. for a while but um but uh but vw all that kind I of stuff one of those in a while but they should yeah i've i've found the ch making a comeback in in the stuff that I do, I see some uh, like max like line length stuff using ch seems to feel good for some reason. Yeah, I recently did it. I do it for that so that because the I I've heard I've read I've been taught that humans when when reading don't want to it's it's easiest on the eyes when it's I think it's between like sixty and seventy five characters or. Right, Maybe right, fifty right. and eighty, I, you know, some, some, somewhere in that range. Right, and if that's what the if that's what the the rule is, then write the rule that matches the rule, you know, yeah. rather than the abstraction between, I don't know, eight hundred pixels, I guess, or you know. <laughs> I I used a ch recently on a button height, so like a three ch height with a one ch padding. I think it was a little extreme. Probably didn't need to <laughs> use it there, but. 
it was, it was just yeah. kind of like neat to think about. Right. It's, it is. I like that too. You should have clamped it. You should be like, it has a <laughs> clamp with a one CH minimum and a two container units plus one viewport unit. <laughs> just abstract it <laughs> yeah. away. I, it's completely. early days for this stuff. Yeah. It's going to get really weird. Yeah. And in those container queries themselves too, you'll see, I, I feel like I've seen some tutorials saying, you know, oh, here's the, you know, at, at container and then, you know, min width 300 pixels or whatever. You're like, oh, ah, ah, you know, don't use width. Why isn't it min inline size 300 pixels? You know, like <laughs> right. we should, you know, ideally we don't, we're not even using width anymore. We're not using, not using left. We're not using right. We're not using width. We're not using height. We're using all. But I love it. We, we have completely moved away yeah. from the pixel perfect uh, kind of world that, that definitely existed for mm-hmm. for quite a while. Um, I'm I'm glad to see that we're accommodating screens and interfaces that we might not even know about at this point. Oh, that's a nice that's a nice sentiment to end on. Chris, is there? A, it was a pleasure talking to you. I love I love getting to bounce around and talk about all this great this you know very exciting world we're living in these days. Is there anything else on your mind, or that you want to? shout out at the end here advice perhaps advice man um (laughs) (laughs) well i i just i do um i just want to say that uh i studied design i was um i i I just i want to uh as as i get to speak to you and i know it's a little more rare than i would like but i do want to say that resources like css tricks and code pen these have been uh so important to my development and I know so many others uh, just in this front end world so just to, just want to end on a thank you really to you Chris oh that's very nice uh, right back at you sir I have appreciated the, the work you've done in the past too this <laughs> I'm still staring at your accessible gradients pen here there's a lot to learn just in this this one pen alone so thanks for that yeah take care man I hope we get to chat again soon and uh, uh Bye for now. Yeah. Thanks for having me.